was for Charlie to go to the mother church, to the, you know, the church planting church, and to go over there and encourage them to keep planting churches, to keep be about multiplication, to keep having babies, you know. And, and my job today, as we look through Jonah chapter 4, is to do the same thing to you guys, to tell you how proud we are of you, how talented, just as I was looking at my daughter up on the stage, thinking about her. I just want you to know, from this vantage point, we feel proud of you guys. We're, we feel like you guys are super talented, that you guys have a huge future. And if this city is going to be reached for Jesus, it's going to take this sort of family happening. Uh, a lot of people are used to seeing churches in competition with each other. Uh, when we planted you guys, and we started, we sent Charlie and Joel out to come here, some people question like, well, is that really, really close? It's the same town. We're going to talk about that sort of thinking today. We're going to talk about how do we exist, not thinking about ourselves, but thinking about the city to which we live in. And Jonah's being challenged with that. You guys have been studying that. He goes to Nineveh and he struggles with trying to love the people that are very difficult for him to love. But God calls him as a missionary to the city to love the city. And we're going to struggle with that today as we look through this passage. Before we do that, let's take a few minutes and let's pray together. God, I'm so grateful for today. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be here. And God, I really want to be an encouragement to these men and women. I really want to communicate to them how important they are to this city. God, I really desire to see this city reach for Jesus. And God, I know that no one church is going to do it alone. But a family of churches that desire to see this city know you. And for you to be glorified in this city. If we would come together as missionaries to this city. Understand that each and every one of us has a purpose and a reason for being here. And that is so that you might be made known. And we'd all take responsibility of that. God, I have confidence that you're going to do incredible things in Somerville. But God, I know that the thing that's going to get in the way of us, the thing that's going to get in the way of your glory, what's going to get in the way of your mission is if we get self-focused. God, I pray that we would live for the city so that this city might know Jesus. And that we would not serve just for ourselves, we would not serve just for our own means, and we would not serve even just for our church but we would serve diligently for this city, for the good of the city, so that you might be glorified in the city. God, thank you so much for this opportunity. Help me to do well to honor you and to honor this moment. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so I know that some of you might be here for the first time, or you might have missed some things that have happened as you guys have been walking through uh, the book of Jonah. It's a story that we all know a lot about, but I'm going to give you a little bit of that history, a little bit of the update, because we're at the end of this. Today's the last sermon on Jonah, and you guys will be moving on to other things. Jonah was called to a difficult task. Jonah was called to go to a city that he didn't love. Some of you may have arrived in Somerville with like your arm twisted. Maybe it was because of a job change, maybe it was because of a family decision, but you're here. Maybe the way that Jonah came, and that's a little bit with your arm twisted. You see, the Ninevites, the people of Nineveh were very, very bad people. I mean, they were known for torture, they were known to be cruel, they were known to be pagans, and they were just a group of people that all of Jonah's friends didn't really like. 
I remember when um, my family and I moved from where we were at to to Louisville, Kentucky to go to seminary. Um, All my family called it Loserville. And the reason why is because it took us away from them. They didn't like the fact that we moved so far away. Some of your family might be feeling that right now. The fact that you've moved far away to be right here and they don't like who or they don't like where you've come because they're struggling with how far you are. Well, Jonah struggled with that himself. He struggled with going to Nineveh so much so that when God called him, he went in the opposite direction. He went in the opposite direction, got on a boat, ran from God. But what we found out is you can't really do that. You can't really run from God. I mean, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. You can't run from him. He has a purpose, and he's going to accomplish that purpose in your life. And Jonah submits to that. He's thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, and while he's there, he repents. And God sends him again through the fish back to Nineveh so that he could tell those people about about God and about the glory of God. He gets a second chance. Maybe for you, you're here in this city and it's a second chance. The last place that you were at, you know, it was all messed up. When you and your wife moved here, it's like, let's redo this. Let's, let's reboot. Let's restart. Let's get reacclimated. Let's do this the right way this time. Jonah gets a second chance. Maybe like some of you get a second chance. Now, you read this last week. You are here last week. You saw that the entire city of Nineveh came to know the Lord. That's incredible. Um, historians have said that that is the greatest revival in human history. Think about that. Jonah is a part of the greatest revival in human history. The Bible is going to say at the end of this section that we're going to read that 120,000 people came to know the Lord in this moment. I mean, Jonah gets to be like the first real missionary, sees transformation, and the only sermon that he preaches, what the Bible says that he says to the people is 40 days, you better repent or God's going to destroy you. That was his message, and 120,000 people turned. So he has this huge success. I mean, massive success. Maybe the greatest success that anyone has ever seen. And we're going to see how he responds. Let's look at this. Look with me. Jonah chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1. So Jonah's had the biggest success. And this is what he said. This is what happens. Verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Greatest success. Anyone before or after. It displeased him. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He has the greatest moment of human missionary sending. And his response in this moment of success is, I knew you'd do this. And I don't like it. I'm exceedingly angry because of this. Now, I think there's some stuff for us to learn right here. Every one of us has had levels of success in our lives. Success in business, success in family, uh, success in church life. We've all had moments of success. Some of us have had bigger moments of success than others, but we've all experienced success. And I have found in my life that in my moments of success, what follows after that is my biggest opportunity for failure. 
Every time that I seemingly succeed, it seems like after my success, I have a bout of failure. I have a bout of depression. I have a bout of being frustrated. I have a bout of starting to think inwardly. I've seen this happen in my life, particularly in my marriage. It seems like for Tara, who's my wife, it seems like for us, whenever we have big moments in our marriage, what comes right after that is a huge challenge. Now, you are either on the brink of something big or you're coming off of something big. Either way, I want to warn you about this. Something from Jonah, something for us, something from my life. It is likely that right after your greatest successes, you're going to experience some of your greatest failures. For me, I see it play out in my marriage. uh, Tara and I went on an anniversary vacation. It just seems like I always mess up our anniversary. Somehow I do it. Uh, We went to uh, Edisto Island, which is just an island, uh, if if you're familiar with Charleston, it's just one of the vacation spots, a little vacation spot. It's a little bit more homey than most. And uh, we stayed in a place. We had a great time, enjoyed the beginning of it, and somehow that got all messed up. And now Tara will tell you that she never, ever wants to go back to Edisto Island. When she drives over, she thinks about the arguments that we had, the frustrating moments. I've seen this on anniversaries. I've seen it on dates. I've seen it on vacation in my life. I've also seen it in ministry. I've seen it where, you know, we'll have the big moment of a success and there's a huge challenge that seems to come either personally or inside of our church. I'm not exactly sure why that happens, but I do see it happen all through the Bible, not just in Jonah's life. You remember when the Israelites left Egypt and they went into the land that God had took and they went through the whole, you know, the the sea parting and they saw God do this amazing stuff. They're about to receive the Ten Commandments. It's just a huge, awesome moment. And they start building a golden calf to worship while Moses is on the mountain. I mean, they just saw God do the most amazing thing. And now, because Moses is taking too long on the mountain, they start building a calf, a golden calf for them to start worshiping. It happens again in David's life. We see uh, David who becomes king and he's this great warrior and all this amazing stuff. He's going to be the one that Jesus is going to come from. It's just an amazing moment. And right after he comes off of the battlefield, he commits adultery. We see it in Elijah's life. Elijah has this opportunity where God's going to use him to fight against the other gods. And there's these prophets of Baal. And they think that there's really this God called Baal. And Jesus, or God uses uh, Elijah to show them that only God, only Yahweh is the one. He uses awesome, like calls fire down from heaven. It's just incredible. And then right after that, Elijah starts struggling with depression Start struggling with the fact, why am I here on earth? Now, he just saw God do something that God's never done in our lives. We even see it in, in Jesus' friend's life. We see it in Peter's life. Uh, Peter makes this huge claim that Jesus is the Savior, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. And, and Jesus says, on that terminology, I'm going to build my church. Says it to Peter. Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. That's incredible. A few days later, he's betraying Jesus because a little girl asked him, aren't you one of Jesus' friends? He said, no, I'm not. He scared a little girl. How is it that for us, in our greatest moments of success, what follows after them many times is failure? Why is that? Here's what I think. Because you might be there. You might be in that moment right now. 
I think that happens because when we are successful, we start looking inward. We start seeing what role we played and how success came out. And many times that's not the case. It is the blessing of God. It's the movement of God. But when we are successful, we start looking inward to try to find what we have done, counting on ourselves and not counting on God. And when we do that and we turn everything inward and think it's about us and think it's about what we've accomplished, then we're starting to miss the heart of what God is doing. And that is that he is using lowly vessels to bring about grand transformation in the world. That's you and I. I think the reason why many times after success is we get a little too prideful, we get a little too involved about ourselves, we comp- have a little too much confidence in ourselves, and God allows for us to be humbled, not so that we can be stricken, but because it's the best thing for us. Because if we only trust in ourselves, we'll ultimately fail. So the first thing we deal with today is the fact that when we have success, when we have these moments of success, we've got to be very, very careful not to look inwardly towards that success because likely after that, we're going to experience a very big failure. But Jonah experiences even more than that. So he's a little bit frustrated at God and God's going to provide for him. But let's look at that verse three. Therefore, so Jonah was frustrated because he knew God was going to be merciful. Therefore, now Oh, Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, ask this question, do you do well to be angry? God is putting before Jonah a challenge. Why are you angry? Why are you so frustrated? I mean, you remember, he just, he just saw God do something he's never done before, he's never gonna do again. He's like, you're angry? I want you to think about what Jonah's gone through. Um, his first prayer throughout this book was asking God to save him. His second prayer, now we're reading, is for God to kill him. His sermon that he gave to the people in the land of Nineveh was, not very encouraging. I bet he kind of like walks on the stage. Imagine if I did this. Walked on the stage. All right, guys, you got 40 days and God's going to destroy you. I just walked off. I mean, that's, that's not very encouraging, but that was his message. Now, it does show his heart a little bit. God, he does what, what Jonah expected him to do, was to have mercy, to, 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 to forgive the city, to allow for transformation to happen inside the city. And Jonah goes into what probably happens in this room, typically throughout the week uh, as school's out, he goes through his preteen teeny bopper stage, you know? He goes through that uh, feeling like, oh God, you don't love me. If you love me, God, you would do this for me. He goes through this struggle, because you don't love me, I'm just gonna kill myself. He's struggling inside with how God has responded and what God has done. And what God has done is he's shown love. Here's what I'm learning from this. Jonah's self-focus, Jonah's complete focus on himself begins to lead to his personal destruction. Same thing's happening with you. If you are so consumed and so, so much so thinking about yourself, thinking about your situations, thinking about your desires, thinking about your needs, it's likely that your prayers before God are nothing more than teeny bopper prayers. Come on, God, if you love me. So Jonah goes, in this moment, he becomes very, very angry. 
He becomes very, very angry. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Some of you struggle with anger. I don't know, you know, ladies, don't, don't nudge your husbands right now, and husbands, you know, don't. Uh, you know it. You know if there's someone in your life that struggles with anger. It might be you. It might be a child. Um, it might be a family member that struggles in a big, big way with anger. Let me give you an insight to that. All anger. I'm talking all anger. All anger is rooted in pain. All anger is rooted in pain. The reason why we get angry at stuff, the reason why we get angry at our boss, the reason why we get angry about our jobs, the reason why we get angry about our husbands or to our husbands, the reason why we get angry about our life is because of pain. We're frustrated at our boss because of the pain to which we perceive they brought into our lives. We're frustrated and angry at our spouse because of the pain they bring in our lives. We're frustrated and angry at our kids because of the pain. Maybe not physical pain, but the feeling of what you feel like when someone looks down at you as you're not a very good parent. And your child is the person who's revealing the fact that you're not a very good parent. And because of that, you feel anger at your kids. Some of you are frustrated at your boss because they make you work. It's not because they make you work. It's because whatever you're having to do when you work is something that makes you feel like you're losing something. And that loss is bringing pain. And the only way that you understand how to respond to that pain is to be angry. Everyone's anger is rooted in pain. The question for us as we study this passage is, is what's Jonah's pain? What's making Jonah so angry? You don't understand, I mean, Jonah going to Nineveh is like us going to the Taliban. It's like us going, it's like, it's like the Jews going to the Nazis. No one was hoping that Jonah, when it comes back to his friends, were hoping that he was going to be successful in his mission of God being gracious. His desire, and all the community's desire, is that Nineveh would get everything that they deserved. That they would get punished for the years that they had punished people. He's like, God, I knew, I knew You would be gracious. You see, now Jonah has to go back to his friends and his family and to his community and be the person that everyone points at and goes, the reason why we didn't get our justice is because of him. Can you imagine the pain it must be to go back to your homeland for everyone to point you out as the person that brought about God's grace so that we wouldn't get the justice of all those things the Ninevites had done. I mean, I know there's probably some soldiers in the room. There's some desire for some people to get some justice. And you found out the only thing they got was a big hug. You'd be frustrated. And the reason why you'd be frustrated and angry is because of the pain that had been brought in your life. We got to understand that. Because you're not going to get past your anger unless you can get to the root of it, which is the pain to which you're dealing with. It's a very big key for marriages. Because I know for some of you right now, you're struggling with that. You're struggling with anger and frustration. You don't know how to express it. You just know that you're always angry. you got to get to the root of the anger, which is the pain that it's being brought. Okay, let's keep going. Let's keep looking at this. Look with me at verse 5. Okay, so this continues on. Jonah's angry. So here's what happens. Jonah went out of the city... And sat to the east of the city and made a booth, made a little tent, made a little place, made a little man cave for himself there. 
And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would, ha- what would become of the city. Now remember that. Hold on to that. He goes outside, builds himself a little man cave, sits down, and just is going to watch what's going to happen in this city. Now he's really, really upset, and God does something nice for him. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Remember, he, was, he used to be exceedingly displeasant because of God's grace. Now he's exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now, here's what's happening in Jonah's life. Jonah is... The way I see it, he's left the city. He's perched himself up in a place where he can see the city. Because his hope is that 40 days are going to pass. And these people are not going to be saved. And destruction's going to fall on them. And what he's doing is he's built himself his little man cave. Or God's actually built the man cave for him. He's sitting down waiting for the, you know, the, the ancient Israel blockbuster movie he's pulled up his popcorn he's like i'm gonna watch the fire come down and watch god burn these people you remember this sermon you remember his sermon 40 days and god's gonna bring about destruction he's just pulling up his seat to see these scoundrels be put to death so that he can likely return back to his people and say that he he tried he gave his best shot but now they're all destroyed now Here's the point for us. Here's what we're supposed to learn from all this. I think what, at least what I learned this week as I studied all this. When we focus in on ourselves, when we focus in on ourselves, we foster a desire to see others fail. When you and I focus in on our circumstances to find our happiness, everything else is a threat to our happiness. Everyone else is a threat to our happiness. So we begin to hate or have anger or be displeased with everyone else that's around us. What in your life right now is so super important that when something competes with it, it brings about a huge amount of frustration in your life? I want you to know that this sort of focus, for us to be focused in on ourselves, I mean, Jonah's happy because he's got a plant. He went from being displeased because God allowed him to do this great mission in his life. I mean, God's doing incredible things in his life that he's never going to do with anyone else, and he's exceedingly displeased by that. But then he gets a plant, he gets some shade, and he's exceedingly happy. Now, here's the challenge for us. Like, catch this with me. Don't, Don't lose it for a minute. I want you to catch this with me. Right now, for us, we could potentially be focused on everything else, every other provision that's out there to give us happiness. What gives Jonah happiness is his possessions, not God. And that is going to ultimately destroy him. Right now, for many of us, we are just trying to get some possessions to bring about happiness. If I could just get that car, if I could just get that uh, boat, if I could just get that job, if I could just get that promotion, if I could just get that house, if we could just have another child, if I could just get a real husband, and if I could just get any of these things, then finally I'll be happy. Finally I'll be happy. 
It's just not true. It's just, it's just not. It's a lie. Because you've seen it. I mean, the best example I can think about this for, for me is, um, you ever, you ever, how many of you guys have like Dish Network or um, DirecTV or something like that? Raise your hand. Most of us do, so, okay. How many times are you flashing through all the channels and you can't find anything to watch? How many of you guys have done that? Okay. Why is it that we think that if I get more channels, I'll be happy? There'll finally be something for me to watch. And you're like, you even have that thought. You know what? There's more to watch. And I just had like, you know, CBS and NBC and Fox and just a few channels. And now I'm just, all I do is glide through. I think this is one of the great pictures of us thinking, well, you know what? If I, if I got 150 channels, if I just had 300 channels, then I'll have something to watch. Well, any of you who have gone from 150 channels to 300 channels, you know now you've got even less to watch. Somehow. Now, how is that? How is that? It's because we're putting our hope in, if we just get a little bit more of what didn't give us happiness in the first place, if we had more of what didn't give us happiness in the first place, we'd be happy. Does that blow your mind? I want more. Okay, let's talk about money. If I could just get a promotion, or just get a better job, I'd be happy. Really? Usually when you get a better job, you get more responsibility. Does it make you happy? If I could just have a bigger house. A lot of ladies really like that, and they have to start cleaning that house. I don't like this big old house anymore. Why is it? Now, this is, this is one that kind of hit me. Maybe those other ones haven't. This one hit me. Okay, we live in America, which has the most stuff in the world. You know, we've got the most money, we've got the most possessions, we've got the most. Do you know what the number one most prescribed pharmaceutical in America is? Do you know what it is? Antidepressants. Okay, does that not blow your mind? We have more than anyone on the face of the planet. And yet, the thing that we need is antidepressants. Now listen, if, if, I'm not dogging that. If you're, if, I'm not trying to say that's a bad, I'm just saying that even though we have everything, it's not making us happy. Now why is that? Why is that the case? Because those things are temporary. Those things, those possessions were not created to bring us whole, bring us wholeness, to bring us fulfillment. Only God is. Romans chapter one, verse 25, God says this as clear as he can. You will have this temptation, I will have this temptation, and it is this, to worship the creation over the creator. To find all of our happiness, all of our joy, all the things that only God can give to us, and what the temptation for us is, what we see in Romans chapter one, is that we will worship, and I know you're going, I don't worship the stuff I have, well, if it's the source of your happiness, then it is the thing that you're worshiping. You see, what we're going to do is take God's creation or even man's creation and begin to worship it to find our happiness there, and that is not going to last. Your money will run out. That big, juicy steak that you're going to eat later, that sounds pretty good. That big, juicy steak that you're going to eat a little bit later, 
will become waste that you will deposit. And every possession that you have has an expiration date on it. Listen. But God does not have an expiration date. And if you want to find purpose, if you want to find lasting, exceeding joy, it's going to be found in God and not in your possessions. And not of the things that even God makes. It is in God alone. Now Jonah's going through this struggle. We're hearing about it so that we might make a different decision. All right, let's finish this thing up. Let's look at these last few verses. We'll be done today. Thank you guys for hanging with me. Let's look at this. Verse seven. When dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. Okay, so he's got a big plant. The enemy of a big plant's a worm that attacked the plant so that it would wither. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. He, he, his possession, his plant goes away because of the worm and the scorching east wind. And now he wants to die. He goes from exceedingly sad to exceedingly happy and glad now to wanting to die again. Verse nine. But God said to Jonah, do, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. I mean, does he sound like a teeny bopper? Verse 10, and the Lord said, you pity the plant. This is what we're supposed to really get out of this. The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, I, should not I pity Nineveh? What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that he's the one who labored to make this city come about. He's the one who's made everything happen in this city. He's been laboring a labor of love to love these despicable people for generations. And you're the guy who's just coming in unhappy about the fact that I'm doing something in their lives, happy about a plan. You didn't do anything, but I've been working inside of this city for generations. Verse 11. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Now, I have no idea why it ends with cattle. I mean, it's kind of strange. It, God ends with cows. I won't end with cows, but maybe there's some reason I should. But all right, here, here's my last thing for us today. As we're talking about the fact that Charlie's over at Journey, I'm over here. We're talking about the city and all this sort of stuff. Let me just, let me just lay this out for you. The goal, you, you may not know it, but the goal for this whole thing, this whole thing we're doing, the whole thing we're doing at Journey, the whole thing that we're going to be doing across the city, the whole reason why we exist is so that every man, woman, and child, every man, woman, and child will have multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus. 
We want every man, woman, and child in this city that we live in to have multiple opportunities. If it's at the Flower Town Festival, if it's at the Easter service, if it's at the baptism service, if it's you serving in your missional community, so that every man, woman, and child will not have one opportunity to hear about Jesus, but would have multiple opportunities to see Jesus in your life, to hear Jesus from your mouth. And have the opportunity to understand how to respond to the good news that Jesus came and died so that they might have life. That's the reason why we do this. Now, for that to happen, we cannot be self-focused. We cannot focus in on ourselves as individuals and even on ourselves as a church. I mean, why the Journey Church would plant another church inside their city? Because we've got to do it if every man, woman, and child is going to have an opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. We've got a church meeting in our church on Saturdays. Why? So that every man, woman, and child might have the opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. There's going to be other churches that are right around here, and we need them to be successful We need them to reach people, not in competition with you, not in competition with other churches in Somerville, but for the central fact that the only way that God's going to be glorified in our town like he's glorified in Nineveh is if every man, woman, and child has an opportunity to seek Jesus. And the only way that's going to happen is if you are selfless and you are willing to be a missionary and you are willing to go anywhere that God would call you. But the biggest threat to God's glory in our city is our selfishness. I'm not just talking about one person. I'm talking about everyone sitting and everyone standing. If everyone in our town is going to know Jesus, it is going to require for each and every one of us to think selfish, selflessly, selflessly, and for this church to think selflessly. What does that mean? Okay, the first thing I'm trying to say is, as the mother church, I want some grandbabies. I want you guys to be planting churches so that every man, woman, and child might have an opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. There's another church that's going to pop up right here. Great pastor. His name's Wayne Otto. They're going to plant a Wesleyan church. You guys might start seeing them as competition. You shouldn't. You should see them as an opportunity for every man, woman, and child to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. Gethsemane Baptist Church is right down here. Northwood Baptist Church, or Northwood Assembly Church is right here. Listen, if every, and there's like 60,000 people coming to this area, if they're all gonna have an opportunity to hear about Jesus, we can't think about ourselves. We gotta think about the mission of God and the glory of God played out in our lives. I don't know how that's gonna work, but I do know this, that the biggest threat for that to happen is that we focus in on ourselves. My whole purpose, when Charlie and I started talking about this, is I'm gonna come and do everything I can to challenge our daughter. I told you, sitting right where you guys are sitting, staring up here, looking at my kid, proud of her. You know, when she, when she finished, she misspelled that word, came off the stage, and I said, sweet, like I told you in the bathroom before we came up here, I love you if you miss the first word, and I love you if you win. I don't know what God's gonna do with this church. But I want you to know that we love you and we want to see you guys succeed for the glory of God. 
so that every man, woman, and child is going to have the opportunity to respond. But it's going to take each and every one of us taking responsibility. It's going to take each and every one of you, not, not Joel and Charlie, not the staff, each, every one of us, taking on our responsibility to make sure that people hear about what God has done. Thank you so much for having me. Let me pray and we'll be finished. God, for, for you to be glorified in this church, it doesn't just start with a motivational speech. It starts with us being selfless and getting off of our thrones and giving you control. The gospel is that you came and died for us in our sin so that we might become your righteousness. And that is going to require for each and every one of us to step off of our throne, the throne over our lives, and give it to Jesus. Trusting that he will bring about salvation and he will bring about our direction. God, I pray that as we sing these last few songs, as we finish out our service today, it wouldn't be about a motivational speech. It would be about the fact that the first thing that each and every one of us has to do is get off of our thrones and hand it over to you. Receiving your grace. God, I pray that in these moments that would be the heart of every person in this room. For the Christian to find the places where they've tried to step back up and take control and give it back to you. And for the person who has not established a relationship with you, that they would confess their sins, come off of their thrones, and give their lives to Jesus. God, as we worship and respond to you, I pray that'll be our hearts.